we're recording. Hello, everybody. Hello. And right on time, <laughs> Luna makes an appearance. Yeah, she has needs. Hopefully she'll calm down about them. She wasn't very, I mean, she didn't even get to see one of the movies we watched. So I'm not sure how much she's really going to contribute to the discussion. <laughs> uh, I'm Theo Black. <laughs> and I'm Sarah Black. And that's Luna uh, Black that wanders around sometimes. Uh, so we are we have we are now switching. We, we went from a month, which I would say is like half Sarah, half Theo, because it was bad movies. And then it was sci-fi monster movies. Right. So we, we meshed together for a half month. And we've now moved into um, our February movies, even though I don't think even though I think some of the reviews we did are not releasing until next. Anyways, whatever. Uh, which is going to be rom-com month, which is more like a 90, 80% Sarah thing and like a 10, 20% Theo thing. Not because I don't, not because I don't, not because I don't like rom-coms, but because like you like them a lot more than me, like a lot more than me. And I just don't know as much about them though. I am slowly through you or, but because of you becoming rom-com savvy like I'm hitting a lot of the things I've never seen and you know like oh right I keep hearing this movie I should have seen it a while ago blah 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 right but already too the the two movies we watched so far I would like to say are of a higher caliber than any I mean we were watching deliberately bad movies but even within that like okay so spoilers for the record for any movie we talk about then this review is going to be it happened one night yes before we get to that spoilers for everything and so my question is are either of these as good as Robot Monster? It's apples and oranges, man. Like <laughs> you know, like there's no there's no point in comparing. No, there isn't. There's not at all. But it's just a funny question. I would say Robot Monster is is of a high caliber for what it is. Yes. Um, but I wouldn't. You're not going to be like I. I feel you're not going to be like, I can't decide between It Happened One Night and Robot Monster. Yeah, I just don't no. know which one I'd rather watch. I mean, they're yeah. pretty different kinds of movies. They are. Oh, I've got a cat who is like sniffing. She's like just off screen sniffing at the microphone. This is one of her vantage points for looking out of the windows. Anyways. Okay. So you're right. Theo, I Theo would not... has a cat now and he's very excited. So I am very excited. Um, no, no, his his he can be screwed over by the cat while he's trying to do things. It's great. Yes. Okay, I so probably. we watched It Happened One Night, which is a nineteen um thirty-four um Frank Capra film. Um, do you want to summarize this one or do you want to summarize Ninochka, which is the other one we did, which we will talk about next? Uh I'll do this one. Um so this is Technically pre-code, I think the code came into effect somewhere in 34 or 35. Maybe I'm a little early, but this is a pre-code movie. It stars Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert. Um, I'm assuming it's said the same way as um, what the other Colbert. That's how uh, I've always heard it. And Cob- Claudette Colbert is a the daughter of a rich guy. I don't exactly remember like what the stuff, the the stances are, but she's like a socialite. So she's in the newspapers and stuff. And essentially the movie is kicked off by her escaping the boat that her and her father are on so that she can go and marry this guy. Well, she's already married to him, but she can go and like officially be with him in a more, you know, full capacity. And on the way, Clark Gable, who's a newspaper man, um, sells stories to, you know, he's just one of those old newspaper men. They end up on the same bus and he figures out who she is 
and he wants the scoop on her story. Oh dear. Uh, sorry, cat fell. Cat's good. Uh, oh, it's Chip. Chip doesn't usually show I'm, up. I'm having our... cat issues too. And Where it's cats all around. Your poor plot is becoming so muddled. Yes, but so he wants to scoop on her story. And that is essentially what leads us into the movie as they then travel by bus and other means to get to New York, where she will eventually meet up with her husband. Um, romance ensues. Uh, so that's this plot of the movie. I, I did a little extra there. I'm getting better at these. I managed to bring that yeah, one back I would, around. But, I would uh, say, you know, you've got a young heiress. Well, she's not that young, actually. You have an heiress who's yeah. escaping her restrictive life by marrying this guy. Her dad tries to keep her, you know, annul the marriage and everything. And that's oh, when right. she I, runs away. I missed, I forgot the part where the father is like trying to annul the marriage. Yeah, and, and she jumps off a, she jumps off a boat and swims away. <laughs> yes, somehow manages to escape Which without being caught. Which doesn't in Platinum Blonde, too? Like I haven't seen Platinum Blonde. Oh, no. Doesn't that happen in Bombshell? See, now I'm getting all screwed up on my Gene Harlow. You are. I can't remember that well. And I mostly remember being a little icked out by some of the gender <laughs> politics of Bombshell. Which, you know, it's... it's You're it's, watching a movie from... Um, I, I know, but I'm allowed to be icked out by the gender politics, even if it's a movie from 1930-whatever. 33. <laughs> still, okay. Like, this movie is from 1934, and I'm not as, as wig, wig, that wigged out by the gender politics. There's still so, some stuff here, but... Yeah, okay, so I want to say that I don't really like Capra films in general. Not that I think that they're bad, but generally his stories are not the kind of stories I get much pleasure from yeah um, but his filmmaking is is typically pretty solid there's nothing i have against how he tells his stories and um i had seen this probably in my late mid to late teens so it's been quite a while and i kind of remember being bored by it and not liking it that much but i wanted to give it another try um and i actually quite liked it on rewatch um but i want to hear your thoughts first since you are not the rom-com guy so I have a thought about Capra and then a thought about the movie. So Capra, I've seen It's a Wonderful Life, uh, Arsenic and Old Lace, and I'm forgetting the other movie I've seen of his. Um, it's one of the famous ones. And basically, I'm kind of like you and mom, where it's like Capra's stories are a bit too old school, like morality for me. Like, they're not terrible. Like, It's a Wonderful Life is a cute movie and a lot of people love it. And I get that. And most people aren't like, oh, yes, we should go back to this kind of repressive era of, you know, gender politics and so on. It's just a fun movie. There's a lot of, like, stuff about cheerfulness and, and the holiday spirit and blah, blah. It's a little much for me, but I don't hate his movies. I tend to think, I realized watching It Happened One Night that Capra's movies are kind of like a warm blanket. Like, I probably like It's a Wonderful Life less than any number of other movies. Yet, I'm probably more likely to return to watch a movie like Arsenic and Old Lace or It's a Wonderful Life or It Happened One Night than some movies I like more than it because it's just a warm blanket. Like, if you want traditional, like, old Hollywood storytelling, old Hollywood film techniques, old Hollywood actors, if you want this kind of, like, really solid like this is where movies come from genre filmmaking or whatever filmmaking like you go to Capra I think Capra is like the definition of like arc, you know archetypal Hollywood filmmaking stories and so on so like it happened one night was like a warm blanket 
the movie itself, a, a divorce from my new theory on Capra, is like about as solid a rom-com as I've ever seen. Because again, this is like standard Hollywood filmmaking from the 30s, you know, everything, you know, this is what everything comes from almost, you know, like maybe it's not the first, you know, Capra wasn't the first you know, director, he didn't make the first movie or anything like that. But this is kind of like as standard as you get and everything sort of breaks the rules by breaking the rules that like are in Capra movies kind of. Right. You know, he didn't establish it necessarily. I mean, I don't know. But, you know, everybody's breaking these rules. Like it has all the things in it that you expected. There's the meat cute. It's it's not like the meat cute is never like, oh, they love each other. It's always like there's some sort of consternation or conflict. Then we have, you know, with them on the bus and, and the, the seat and him being kind of used by it. Then there's sort of the characters at odd because, you know, at odds because she wants to be with another man. He just wants to scoop up the story. She doesn't know what she's doing. He's there to help her. Some of the gender politics in there is a little like, ah, this is the 30s, but whatever. And <laughs> but that's how it was. God damn it. Yes, but what? Am I not allowed to be upset and not like it? If you, I, I'm aware that's how it was. It's still the annoying. Time, it was a different time. Yes, I know it's a different time. I'm not an idiot. I still find some of the gender politics icky. Am I am I not supposed to find them icky? Am I supposed to it be just, it's it's an it's an uninteresting thing it's kind of like in Rome they were a little sexist like okay <laughs> but the thing about the gender politics is mostly Clark Gable is in, is charming in this like usually yeah. like in a movie like something like Bombshell it's really just icky and it's like oh god he's gonna you know so like why the yeah. gender politics are weird here it's like Clark Gable is actually really like enjoyable and so on and it's like would Claudette Colbert really be this notes this little about things like it seems she seems almost have like, you met rich people now yeah that's true <laughs> what are you talking about but there's <laughs> but see rich people now well i don't know anyways but so like there's there's all of that and there's all the conflict in that there's the whole wall of jericho thing where he's being you know chivalrous and putting a you know a blanket in between them so he can't watch her and that's ah, it's, that's good you know there's like that's this is all stuff i feel like i haven't seen that many rom-coms and i've seen this before but it does it with such great pacing and Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert are such good actors and the way it's shot is really well done. And there's the scene where they're, they're acting out being a, a, an abusive couple sort of, which is very amusing and also made me feel weird inside. And like, that's a really kind of cute scene. And then, you know, there's the whole thing with the carrots and suddenly we're outside and the lighting's a little foggy, which I don't understand, but it looks really good. And so it's like, I almost don't have any complaints about this movie. Like, it's just good kind of from start to finish. It's not a Theo movie, but like, it's good from start to finish. Like, I, what, I, I don't have anything. The reason I'm even talking about the gender politics is because like, I gotta find something to complain about. And there's a little bit of weirdness with like the power dynamics between them, even though she's the rich one and he's not rich, but he's the man. So he still, has, you know, it's all that. So it's like, I don't know, I don't have any, that's my complaint is like, I have to find something to complain about. And that's kind of what I got. <laughs> True. So, okay. Um, first, I want to respond. I don't find Capra to be a warm blanket because he, my issue with Capra, and you cannot get me to watch It's a Wonderful Life again and really <laughs> focus on it. Under any circumstances, I do not like the romanticizing of small town Americana. Small towns are fine, but when you have the small town, warm, loving, good, big city, bad full of evil people like i just can't take it like and it's it's a really it feels really american i don't know if they do this in like italy or france or england i mean certainly the country 
rural areas, smaller towns are seen a certain way. I think in England, they're seen as charming. Um, but like, I'm way more um, Lewis Sinclair Main Street, if we're going to get literary, where it's like, small towns are small. <laughs> like, you know, Big cities are big. There's lots of different kinds of people in both places. So that, you know, and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington has it too. It, it just really rubs me the wrong way. And I don't find anything really comforting or charming about it, to be honest. But I understand why people do. You like the you know, you like there's this romanticizing of like the country boy who is moral and knows what's right and wrong. And I like that character under certain circumstances, but just just not that into those kind of stories. But uh, it happened one night doesn't have any of that. Um, he's a newspaper reporter. She's an heiress. They're both kind of big city people. And there's none of this like they don't learn to be better people through meeting a farmer or something like that, which would, I think, drive me crazy. Um but I, I, I overall completely agree with you that this is like a textbook for a rom-com. And I'm going to torture you a little bit in a moment. And I don't want to repeat what you've said too much. But I'm kind of curious. This is 1934. It is pre-code, but it's not as racy as some pre-code stuff I've seen. Yeah. Not like the Gold Diggers, Busby Berkeley stuff. I'm curious how many of the tropes that we see in this movie can be found before this movie and we've lost so many silent films that i don't think we could ever be confident about it but there are so many rom-com tropes that i see in k-dramas regularly that are in this that yeah i mean shakespeare certainly wrote romantic comedies he had things like um people switching genders and pretending to be other people and stuff that i know still survives in romantic comedies today so it's not you know I don't know what Shakespeare may have already had. I, I can't remember. It's been a while since I <laughs> checked out any of those. But I'm pretty sure Shakespeare didn't have people falling against each other in a bus either. So, <laughs> right. um, so Theo, what do you know? What tropes you recognized? Do, do you feel like? Well, or do you I want know. me to just do the list I found? I'm kind of curious if anything stuck out to you. Okay, so here's what I've got. There's the. Um, pretending to be someone else, like pretending to be a cup. There's the pretending to be husband and wife, which is a trope of some kind. Yes. I think I there's think so. the playing both being actors, pretending to be someone else, basically, yeah. which I assume is a trope. Um, the fall, her falling into his lap on a bus. Like that's a trope of some kind, right? Yeah. We've K drama's got versions of that. It's called skinship. Someone's always falling into someone Sometimes okay. that buses in K-dramas all over the place. I feel like the luggage, like stuff getting stolen might also be a trope. Um, let's see, what else? There's uh, there's the misunderstanding trope where like at the end, like there's a misunderstanding between the two and that's how they like are going to not end up as a couple. But then of course they do end up as a couple. There's the running, oh, go ahead. No, and the next thing, which I think you're getting to. The running away from a wedding <laughs> yeah. scene. We it's, saw that in so many modern American rom-coms, for sure. Yeah, I feel like that's a, a female thing. I, I wonder how many men actually run away from a wedding. No, it doesn't happen very much, does it? I feel like men, like if men, this is one of those 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 things where it's like women are almost more allowed to do it in movies, but men, if they do it in a movie, they just come off such more as scumbags or something. I'm not yeah. sure. I, I don't, it's just a thought I've had. Uh, let's see what else there's 
God, I'm running, I'm running low on them. Do you want me to take over since you, you kind of got your... I think I've gotten most of what I can remember. I'm sure there's more than I'm just not. I think we've seen a million reporters and writers and so on. And he's a reporter. Right. She's true. a rich girl. We've definitely seen million, a movie that we were going to watch. And then I accidentally skipped, but we may end up watching with our mom instead is Nothing Sacred from 1937, just a few years later. And would you believe it has a reporter and a rich girl? But again, I don't I rich women are always. You know, I mean, I'm sure Shakespeare had rich women in his stories, too. So right. they've always been kind of a fascinating a reporter, I feel like, is more new. A road trip. Definitely oh, a road yeah. Trip. Road trip. She sleeps on his shoulder on the bus. I have seen this happen in at least 50 percent of the K-dramas I've watched. Um, yes, that one. My Clark cat. Gable going shirtless. Guinevere, get out of there. What do you do? <laughs> My cat's in our dish rack. There's no dishes in the dish rack right now. She's just standing in the dish rack. Sorry. Okay, keep going. Clark Gable going shirtless. And you'll notice he didn't wear an undershirt. According to Wikipedia, this started a fad. I don't know if I trust Wikipedia, but that's interesting. But yeah. It's an urban le- It's an urban myth, whether or not it's a true urban myth. I've heard right. of this as well. Yeah. So Cl- Clark Gable goes shirtless because in a heteronormative kind of a way, rom-coms are for women. Women like to see the men without the shirts on. Um, singing on the bus, uh, you know, characters end up singing together. That's the thing I've seen more than a few times. Uh, the pretending to be married cohabitation thing is a thing where people have to spend the night together or they end up having to live together or so on. We've seen that before. He carries her. Yes. That's a thing. Guys got to carry the lady somewhere. Um, to carry her somewhere. And then big misunderstanding, interrupted wedding. You got those. And then drinking. He does the drinking in this one. Um, we in the other one we see they both end up drunk um so those are like and we could probably we could go to tvtrips.com and i'm sure it would lay them all out but those are kind of the ones i noticed um another thing is it's got the iconic hitchhiking scene um, which was copied dozens and dozens of times where clark gable builds up how he's going to hitchhike and he knows all the different ways of thumbing a ride and of course it gets him nowhere and she walks out and shows a leg and immediately a car pulls over um that's like an iconic scene that got copied um i also thought it did well at walking that you have to have your main characters in conflict but in a romance, they also need to fall in love. Yeah. And a lot of times I I don't like it when it gets mean and mean spirited and I don't really want them to end up together. And I don't know why I'm watching this and I don't like it. Other people seem to have less trouble with that than me. But I, to me, it stretches. It's just unpleasant when people aren't are really cruel or mean to each other. And then you have false equivalency apologies. I thought this did a good job where they would be they kind of snipe at each other and would be mean to each other, but it never really crossed a line of no return for me. And then there were times where it would be kind of playful banter. And I think right before they did the um, hitchhiking scene, even there's like, she's complaining about being hungry and so on. And they're kind of snipping at each other, but it's kind of comfortable. It's the kind of, it's the kind of teasing and banter you do with someone where, you know, you're not going to hurt their feelings. You know yeah. that it, you, you're comfortable enough to, to tease them and know what you can tease them about and what's 
not going to upset them. And that's when you do that kind of thing. And I, I thought this movie did a pretty good job with that kind of dialogue. Yeah, I agree completely. Like they, they, so sometimes something that's missing from the rom-com is even why the two people are like really together and like connected. Sometimes it's like, well, they were once a couple and it's like, I don't believe that like, what is it? Sweet Home Alabama where it's like, I don't really believe the setup for that movie and like why they're still interacting. Yeah, There's kind of a reason, but also I don't like that movie. Well, that's one where I thought they were really mean to each other. And I'm like, I don't, I mean, I I don't know why they be together than with someone else have to put up with either of them, but I don't like them very much. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas in this one, like she, you know, he wants the scoop. He wants the story. And that mm-hmm. makes sense. It's worth some amount of money. And she wants, she needs someone to help her because A, she's had all her stuff stolen and has no money. And B, she's a little, she's not completely like, you know, clueless, but she doesn't really understand what's going on. There's the whole scene. And then there's scenes like dunking the donut, eh? like how you dunk a donut. Like, why is that scene there in like a traditional plot where like, like in an action movie, you would never have that kind of scene because in an action movie, you need to keep a certain pace but a rom-com is a slower, it's usually a slower kind of story. And you can have scenes where you dunk the donut because that's really a scene more, again, that's a scene for conflict and like, well, no, I guess they couldn't get together because, but it's also a cute scene where he's like trying to teach her how to do this thing. So it's, you get, rom-coms often like just skip over the scenes where they like build the romance or where they like build an intimacy and are just interested in the conflict and the plot Right. And I actually think rom-com movies don't really need as strict plots. Right. Like their plots are a lot less strict than a thriller or an action movie. You just need the dunking of the donuts or the carrots or the she's getting, she gets scared because he leaves to go find carrots when they're trying, when they're sleeping in that field together. And like, that's, you know, you need that kind of like tension of like, well, they're making beds and they're, he's getting annoyed at her and she's getting annoyed at him because they've been traveling together for a while and, Blah, blah, blah. But then she gets scared because she doesn't really know how to, she isn't really prepared to do things by herself. Yeah. So I, it, you, this has all those scenes and all those scenes are wonderful. Like I suddenly want to dunk donuts into coffee, even though I don't like coffee and don't eat donuts that, that often. <laughs> so like, you know, it's, it's that kind of, you know, I wanted to eat carrots, even though, I mean, carrots are fine. I put them in things, but like, it's, it makes you want to be a part of that intimacy is like how well-crafted and how, I thought there was a lot of chemistry between Claudette Colbert and Clark Gable, you know? So yeah, it's, it includes the stuff you need to include that is often forgotten in a worse version. I get what you're saying. It's interesting because reading Wikipedia again with a massive grain of salt, Claudette Colbert thought this movie was going to be terrible. Um, And she apparently had had a previous bad experience with Capra. So it's possible that she was just feeling a bit, uncertain based on that like based on her on what had happened before but I can also see making a movie like this as an actor you're usually not filming in in chronological order you're just filming scenes I could see how this might feel like a plotless mess yeah um but you know you, you mentioned thriller and so on but you know a lot of action films don't have brilliant plots either and a lot of people just watch them because they like action I think rom-com can be the same. You you just like seeing people interact and fall in love and do certain things. And pl- I think Ninochka has a stronger plot. We'll talk about that next, a more interesting kind of out there plot. But, you know, some you, you've got a road trip. They've got to get from A to B. They're going to fall in love along the way. You don't need much more than that if you have good writing and, and good acting. 
So like in an action movie, you have a, usually, you know, in an action movie, whatever kind it is, it's like you have to get here to get the MacGuffin to go here to give it to this person. This person double crosses you. You now have a moment of uncertainty and then you go here with the MacGuffin. Like there's all of that. And in a rom, so like it's not so different, but and it's still an A to B usually for an action film, like even more than a rom-com, I would say it's an A to B kind of deal. But like in a rom-com, and this is a road, a road trip rom-com, so it is literally A to B, but it's, it's more like something happens, there's conflict, that conflict gets resolved, but in the resolution of that conflict, you now have a new problem, which is still pretty standard storytelling. They're, they're kind of both doing the same thing, but the action movie is more like a focused goal of like, I'm going here to do this. Whereas in a rom-com, it's like, we're on this bus, we're going to get there. Oh, wait, no, we missed the bus because of right. this this means this now we're doing this so it's like also, with an, a rom-com your goal is emotional the, the goal is to have two characters fall in love and that's just going to inherently involve less plot i mean we think of plot as things that happen and yeah but we think of that in terms of what we can see visually you know and and really with a rom-com the goal is an emotional no you're right there's thing, a... and and that might call for less i think in most good sorry I, and that I just I think I already that caused for less physical action, but you still have to have that happen because you can't watch people feel things for two hours. So no, well that'd be just like looking at their eyes there, for two yeah. hours. That'd be weird. <laughs> uh, so like, but so yeah, in a in a good action movie or a good rom com movie, of course, you generally have both. Like, not everything has to adhere to to standard structure, but a lot of what people like in a rom com, like it happened one night, has a physical plot. To, the emphasis is just on the emotional plot. Uh, and that's true in general for rom-coms, but you kind of, often if, you miss, if you're missing the emotional one, your rom-com is probably terrible. If you're missing the physical one, your rom-com might be able to get away with it. It depends. Like, you know, we, movies are, are, are living, breathing things. Action movies, you know, it's the, the emphasis is on the physical plot, but there usually has to be some kind of emotional plot or there's kind of, or you're, or you're missing a component of your action movie. You can not have an emotional plot, component of an action movie i think and it'll still succeed but you can't have a, a physicalist <laughs> right like so it's it's kind of the they're kind well, of, the reverse. Think of the foreign was it the foreigner is that the name of that jackie chan film where you watch yeah. some build bombs a bunch it, yeah. it, it was unsatisfying because i was there to see jackie chan physically fight people right I and I, actually i thought it had he did some good acting in it there was some emotional stuff to his character but it was an action film and i was there to see him do action things right and so because of the conventions of the genres like again it happened one night is really solid in all its conventions and it's pacing and everything yeah um, so uh yeah it's it's interesting having this discussion of structure and really it happened one night is like they probably teach this in film classes i probably just didn't get it in mind but like you know the meet cute yeah. here's some conflict conflict we have to change things now we're doing this now the conflict is that it's a chaser era and they have to occupy the same room together when they're changing and yeah you know that whole deal so it's Oh, and, and the pre-code aspects, I think, are Clark Gable without a shirt and like her hiking up her skirt. Like that's that's the pre-code aspect, really. There's a reference to sex at the end, which to us is very innocent. But even that might have been more than they. Yeah, I, I, I'm of the modern era, so I enjoy a movie that has sex in it if it you know belongs there. But I also don't mind that like some of what's interesting about movies from the 30s to the 60s is they're the way they 
get around the code is kind of is often more creative than just showing people having sex. Yeah. So not that like, you know, I, I you know, it's it, each movie, but, you know, the tone and the style of each movie does its own thing. But at the end of this movie, when you finally get to the scene and like he's asked for a clothesline and like they have a blanket and like they get the telegram or whatever, like he knocks, he, you know, and they turn you know, the other the walls of Jericho come down and the lights go off and you're like, oh, I'm so happy. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's it's a symbol. It's all a yeah. symbol, but it's such a well, it's like set up and pay off. It's just everything. Like you get the first time it happens, then they do it another time and she's more comfortable. And now they're gone completely. So, so it's anyways. interesting. The, the last thing I'm actually going to bring up alien versus predator. Oddly enough, <laughs> I think okay. because just real quick, because we talked about when we talked about that, how it, it kind of does the things all the movies before it did. So if you like going up and down that mountain, you might enjoy Alien versus Predator, but yes. if that's all it does. I feel like this is one of those movies that, that, that makes the path. Like this is a movie yeah. that like built the path. So when you watch it, if you've seen a lot of rom-coms, it's 90 years later almost since this movie has been made. Oh, yeah. It looks very familiar. You've been up and down this mountain before, but this is the first one. And, you know, the interesting thing is sometimes those ones don't hold up as well because other people have done it better since. But yeah. I thought this held up pretty well. I, I don't know that I, I loved it because it just isn't quirky enough for me. It's just not weird enough for me. But for what it was, it, yeah, it was really solid. It, it built a good trail through a nice mountain. <laughs> I was actually totally going to make this point too. So you're, you're making it instead of me. We, we, uh, we, both seen the French connection and I like the French connection, but you and a number of people don't feel that it holds up as well against some of the more modern versions of its genre for whatever reason. And you're right. It happened one night is not that sure. Yeah. It's of an era. And, you know, if you really want to get hung up on the, the, the weird gender, some, some smaller weird gender stuff, and it's not anywhere near as bad as any number of other movies you can, but Otherwise, it still really functions as a rom-com. Like, you, it's almost like you could imagine your grandparents doing this or something. Like, maybe in 100 years, it'll be like your great-great-great-grandparents. Like, I imagine this movie is just going to kind of hold up as time goes on. Like, it's... Yeah. It's not... There's nothing so objectionable in it that I could really find, you know, if, anybody... Thing, if, you, if you're watching a movie from the 30s, it's you have to be prepared to deal with some of that stuff. And right. and it's just, it can be more, I mean, there's stuff in the sixties that's worse. Some of the, Oh yeah. Well, Gigi and, and Lily. Lily. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but I'm, I'm not even talking about like the problematic stuff. I mean, there's nothing objectionable even about the story or like how it's put together. Like it's from 34, but it looks like it could be long. And this could be like a modern, you know, re, yeah. you know a modern Except for movie. Except for Claudette's eyebrows. You don't see those kind of eyebrows ever not so much i think they did I, it in the 90s a little bit pencil pencil thin they kind of gave her head an interesting it made her face get have an interesting shape to it that and that her hairstyle i i i've seen women like that but maybe that was when i was younger but there's nothing you could somebody could make this now and it could be like oh this is you know somebody's love letter throwback to an earlier era almost they they do things differently now i think but still it it really yeah, this was just a really solid, good movie. Like, this is the kind, you know, we were like, when we were talking about Alien versus Predator, the Cloverfield Paradox, it's like, well, maybe you want to watch this. Well, maybe if you did. This is a movie yeah. where it's like, if you don't like rom-coms, watch this movie. Yeah, it's good. It's really, it's good. It's, good. Like, it's solid. This is, it's a classic for a reason. It's, it's enjoyable. 
enjoyable. Even if you don't like the genre, you might like this anyways. This might get you into watching rom-coms more. Like this is one of those movies. Yeah, I agree. Shall we move on to uh, Ninochka? I think so. So uh, Ninochka is from 1939, I want to say. Spoilers, for, we, since this is a new movie, um, if yes. you haven't seen this movie that was made in 1939, we may spoil it. And any other movie we mentioned, we may spoil as well. Uh, it is uh, directed by Ernst Lubitsch. It uh, stars Greta Garbo and Melvin Douglas. Uh, Billy Wilder has a writing credit, as well as some other people who are probably famous in their own right, but most of the people will know Billy Wilder. Um, and uh, I did the plot for the last one, so this is you. Bella Lugosi also shows up for like yes. a few minutes, which was interesting. He is most famous for the 1930s Dracula um, and also uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space and his relationship to Ed Wood. Um, so Ninochka is about... Um, this is a little more complicated than it happened one night. Ninochka is about... Uh, I did that on purpose. <laughs> did that on purpose. So basically there's some... Um, the, the Russian royal family was overthrown really not that long ago when you think about the fact that this is a 1939 movie and there are some jewels that belong to a Russian heiress of some kind. Or that, do they? Or do they? Um, that show up in Paris with a group of Russian men um, during the conflict over who really owns the jewels and who can sell them. Um, a Russian envoy played by Greta Garbo and a French, I don't know what Melvin Douglas is, uh, lawyer, get into, um, fall in love and get into conflict because she needs those jewels to, to pay for Russian things and he is friends with this heiress. Um, but love, love conquers all and um, that's kind of it. I don't know what else to bring into it. That's kind as of it. As far as the plot goes. Um, so this is, I think is, I'm not sure if this is my first Garbo. I'm trying to think of like, I'm looking at her Wikipedia and it's like, I actually don't think I've seen most of these. Uh, I, I've seen, I think she's the one, she's in Grand Hotel, right? So I've seen her in Grand Hotel. Yes. Right? Isn't she the one in the Blue Angel or is that someone else? That's Marlena Dietrich. Oh, I see. I get her and Dietrich mixed up for some reason. I don't know why. Um, Anyways, European women is European uh, women, in uh, early Hollywood. What what are we saying here? I don't know. Uh, Ninochka is. I want to hear what you have to say about this first, probably, but I do want to say that Ninochka is an odd little movie. And Ernst, I'm getting the picture that Ernst Lubitsch might have done better in a in a later era where he wasn't constrained by the code. Because Ernst Lubitsch, we've seen. To be or not to be, I've seen that years ago, and it's kind of an odd movie that's got like a play in it about Hitler, and it's ultimately like a pro-American film. It's very odd. Uh, and then the uh, to be trouble in paradise, trouble in paradise, which is like two thieves who fall thieves who fall in love. And yeah. then he did a segment in a, in an anthology movie called If I Had a Million, um, which I really like his segment, and it is I think the shortest segment, but it's really just an amusing segment. I don't think there's even any dialogue in it, so it's like. I wonder what Ernst Lubitsch would have done in a modern era. Yeah. Well, so that's my one little, little. Well, Billy Wilder's a little that way too. I mean, yeah. all, you know, you, you watch early Kubrick and you're like, he's, you know, he's being restrained. Um, yeah. But more than like Capra yeah. or Wilder, like I think Ernst Lubitsch really suffered being in the era that he was in. 
Well, we just talked about it happened one night, which, as we said a little too many times, I think is a very like solid rom com that kind it, it's just a very comfortable it has all the tropes and so on this is a rom-com that does something more and i don't yeah. have anything against just a light-hearted fun reporter meets heiress rom-com i think that's lovely um but if you want something doing something a little more unique and a little different this is definitely more your kind of movie um but yeah, there, I still see parallels to stuff happening now. A very popular K-drama recently was called Crash Landing on You. I haven't actually watched it, but a, a South Korean woman ends up accidentally in North Korea and falls in love with a North Korean man. But because of the politics of North Korea that, you know, he can't just leave. And, and I have read enough to know that, you know, they have to come up with an interesting solution to this problem to stay together. And so in this case, you have strongly Soviet Russia, which, you know, Stalin, you know, is is in power um, and a guy in Paris. And like culturally, it's going to be very hard for them to be together because you you, if you're in Russia, you stay in Russia. And, Mm -hmm. And she does believe in the Russian cause strongly in the beginning, I think less so later. Um, but even when she stops believing in the in, in the Russian cause, she's still Russian. I mean, that's where I think you get a little hung up sometimes in that you see people acting a certain way and think that this is an offensive stereotype. But the truth is we culturally behave certain ways. You, you're raised in a culture. We live in a society. You're, you, Americans tend to be a certain way and so on. And it, it has to do with what you're raised around. Now, the problem happens when you only see one version, when that gets made fun of, when those characters aren't fleshed out, they're just a parody of themselves and that kind of thing. And I thought he did a pretty good job of, of you know, the, the, there is a point to some of the Soviet rhetoric. There is a truth to it. You know, the royal yeah. families did just get to have money while other people didn't. And that was it. But Soviet Russia wasn't had a lot of problems, too. I mean, Stalin was and there's a lot of jokes about that. There's jokes about how little the the Russian people have and the way they're expected to share it and uh, the way it's tense because people might report on you. Like he had some political commentary on in there and it's, it's, you don't find a ton of rom-coms that have political commentary in them, but you, you, they exist. Um, It's, it was interesting how long it took for her to show up because you really start with these three Russian men that show up with the jewels and Melvin Douglas's character, and then she shows up, and then later he disappears when she ends up going back to Russia as part of a deal to get the jewels. Um, and I kind of liked how little conflict there was to that. Like he wasn't—he knew who she was and why she'd done it, and he wasn't really angry with her about that. And she, even though in a sense she'd betrayed him, she still loved him, and and she was just honoring herself and there the conflict at that point was because she's in russia and he's in paris and he can't get into russia they will not let him go in so he has to come up with this crazy way to get her out and i thought that was all really well done i i was impressed by it i basically agree with everything you said even the part about me getting you know wigged out by certain things it's that thing where it's a it's a question of authenticity and like this movie isn't asking you you to take it that seriously so it ultimately doesn't bother me that much 
at the same time, like there's no one Russian playing anybody who's Russian. Now we don't necessarily think about that a lot because they're all white and they're all European of some kind, they're European ancestors. So you don't have someone in blackface or yellowface or anything like that, which is more objectionable, but it's still somebody, you know, Greta Garbo, I think was German born. She's Swedish. Swedish. So, you know, she's not Russian. That's fine. You know, I, I, I don't think playing across culture when you're that close to the culture is as the, objectionable. Um, the waiter is a Russian, Excellent. Uh, Russian American actor. The three Soviet agent, agents are all German. Um, you know, Claire is American. Um, oh yeah, Melvin. Du- I mean, Melvin Douglas is playing a French guy. Um, he was yeah. born in Macon, Georgia. So, right. So it's like it's one <laughs> of those things where again, this is 30, 39, So you shrug. I mean, there probably weren't really that many Russian actors even in Hollywood necessarily. I, I don't know for a fact or anything. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of, you know, you, you kind of let that go. But it is a thing where I question, like, certainly, you know, Gone with the Wind is more objectionable, right? Yes. But there is an, a part of me that watches this and I'm like, there's nobody Russian in these roles. And these are all kind of Russian caricatures. I mean, Melvin Douglas also is kind of a French caricature, although he's barely French. So it's kind of. Harder yeah, to he doesn't have a French accent or anything. It's no, just... so it's it's like I don't have as much to object there because they it's it's by omission, so it's like still objectionable, but for different reasons maybe. But it's not again, it's not really asking to be taken that seriously, and it's ultimately it does have a political viewpoint. So it's kind of making fun fun of communism. It's making fun of communism. It's making fun of capitalism. It ultimately sides with capitalism, but it's not not without like asking questions. That's not as, you know, maybe interesting as a movie that's really going after both of them, but it's also not a movie that's trying to do that. So I don't need it or want it to do that. But there is something where like, this is 1939's version of Russian people. And of course, and I think at the time, the, I don't know how much Americans even knew that Stalin was like having tons and tons of people killed. I mean, there's a joke in there about like, there's a lot of references to being sent to Siberia, which was right. So it's like, So, I mean, there's a question in culture right now, and I don't have an answer to it where we're like, well, how, what can we make jokes about? What can't we, you know, is it how we make the jokes? Is it how, you know, are we joking too soon about something? How serious is this joke? Is this joke trying to say something? Are we just making light of a situation? And so I'm, I'm curious, like I'm re-examining some of these older movies in that lens. It's not about it. And it's also not about it being fair or not to examine an older movie in these lens. I don't really care. I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. But I'm also not going to be like, oh, this is movie from 39 is super problematic. It's Jesus. That but it's also movie. fascinating that he was making these political movies because to, to be or not to be is also very political. Yeah. In 1939, which is right, you know, is the, the middle of the war. Like you said, Stalin is just I, I don't know. That's the um, the thing about Russia sometimes is that, you know, the, the leaders of Russia kill more Russians than people outside of Russia. Right. Do. Yeah. Um, no, it's not. Stalin just crazy. killed so many Russians. Um, well, and it's we aren't in the war yet, but we're, I think we're selling munitions and stuff to yeah. people. This might I mean, be around when. Me. Yeah. Russia might not be at war with Germany at this point because they did sign like a peace treaty. I, my my history is not as solid as my movie history. But like, can you imagine history. right now a movie? I mean, we had The Big Sick, which was about um, Camille Nanjiani's romance with um, Emma. I want to say Emma Stone, but that's not true. With no. his wife, um, yeah. Emma Gordon, I think is her name. Yeah, but I mean. 
Maybe. Um, you you look that up. <laughs> oh, I'm spelling his name wrong. Emily, Emily Gordon. Um, yeah. And he's Pakistani. But can you imagine, like, I don't know, a movie a ch- about... Um, Chinese a- man and an American woman or something, yeah, or vice versa not, or whatever. Not, not a Chinese American, but like a... And, and we're not doing that. And that's even why sometimes I look to LGBT and or K-drama because as, as conservatives, K-drama will be at times like they do have a romance between a North and South Korean as one of their huge hits. Like L- I, there's a number of LGBT movies about um, uh, white for whatever kind, usually they're often European. So white European men with um, refugees from usually Middle Eastern places. And you, you're not seeing that in mainstream. They're, they are, you know, we had Always Be My Maybe. We are um, Crazy Rich Asians and uh, I think Sylvie's Love. Like there are more um, American experiences where we're, we're admitting that American is not always white movies being made, which is, 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 is I think more or at least close to equal white as non-white, if not more non-white than white. Yeah, but it just like, you know, I like, you know, I like seeing more edgy, controversial. Like, I wish it weren't. I wish we just had those kind of romances more. I can't um, really. I mean, I'm not not that I. And I, I like, sorry, real quick, because we've talked so much about the political social aspect, you know, he just falls in love with her for her. He thinks it's awesome that she killed a Polish lancer who stabbed her. Like she is this tough lady. And then he gets her to laugh later. So there's some, you know, we're talking a lot about the political stuff, but there's some good funny stuff. There's a whole thing where she feels like she's betrayed Russia. And when she goes back, she's going to meet a firing squad. So he, he fakes a firing squad by tying a handkerchief. He, he leans her up against the wall, ties a handkerchief around her eyes kisses her and then pops a champagne bottle and she falls down and it's hysterical it's i don't i mean that could someone could tell me that there's nothing funny about that and it's super problematic and i just have to be like hey i'm human that is one of the funniest things i've ever seen humor can be subversive and used to you know i mean sometimes you gotta laugh at things and and the truth is as a russian in that era you may have died for not getting your you may have been Put up against a firing squad so let's let's laugh about the absurdity of that in the no, totally. you know, like I, yeah I, I think you know i imagine like anything culture is sorting out like what is it is that you can and can't do and it mostly just by audiences appreciating or not appreciating it and i appreciated the joke at that joke in this it, yeah. it is one of the funniest things i've seen recently in my memory yeah and like there's you know i'm trying to i was think trying to think of movies where you get a culture clash like this and like Crazy Rich Asian does Crazy Rich Asians does it to right. a degree. My Big Fat Greek Wedding does it, but there's mm-hmm. nothing particularly political about either of those movies. Social political, maybe. Um, I'm like, thinking of um. Oh my God! How did I? Just between friends, right? What? Just friends. Just friends. Just friends. Oh, is that the Seth Rogen and um? No, Charlize? no, you're you're way off. Um, the, the that is the the Amster this the uh, Dutch gay romance. Oh yeah, okay, where, sure, yeah. Where he's a rich Dutch guy. Yeah, and um, he's an um immigrant. I can't remember exactly. I think he's Syrian. I think he's Syrian. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, Just Friends, the uh, the Dutch movie. I mean, that's a little bit of a culture clash, but that was way more fluffy. That was very fluffy. Well, so is My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yeah. Crazy Rich Asians, too, though it, it tries to be more pointed. I'm not entirely yeah. sure it succeeds, but that's a different conversation. Cain River? Cain River. That's not of... recent, but yes. <laughs> it has a culture clash. I'm just it saying. It does. That's, that's like 50 years old, but um, you're totally right. I was just thinking of culture clashes, period. But like, you know, or there's, what was that, the half of it? It's funny because Cane River and Crazy Rich Asians almost goes to the kind of culture clash you see and it happened one night because really it's it's within a, 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 a certain... It's kind of like subgroups within a group. I mean, right. it's more complicated so than that, but Crazy that is Rich kind Asians, of what it they're is. Both, they're both um, East Asian, but one of them is very, very wealthy. I mean... That's well, the clash, one, and it happened yeah, one, one night. She is very wealthy. But one of them is American. I think she's Chinese. Oh, I forget what her actual heritage is, but she's American Asian, and he's like, he's actually what is it? Oh shoot, is it Indonesia? No, Singapore. Singapore. He's Singapore Chinese American kind of, except isn't he also? I forget if he has a British accent. We are missing the nuances of this and should not talk about it like we know what we're talking no, about. No, basically, yeah, but they are kind of subgroups within a larger group. At least that, right. that's how the movie is portraying it, whether or not it's actually that true. Right, whatever. versus what we were talking about earlier is like, wouldn't it be interesting to see a movie about, you know, I mean, I was almost thinking um, someone American or British or something like that, and someone who is born and raised in China or Iran or, um, you know, yeah. a, a place with more. What if Saudi you had Arabia somebody who, or, what if you had somebody who is of Israeli heritage with somebody who is of, I don't know, pick a non-Israeli country <laughs> in the mid, Middle East. And it's yeah. like, that could I be. There, really... I think there have been some of those, but they are not funny. <laughs> they are right. Not, it's, they, they're not rom-coms. They are not rom-coms. So it's like, you, you, I mean, even that's kind of subgroups within a group. But anyways, yeah, it, it's, I think Ninochka is ultimately very enjoyable. Um, Ernst Lubitsch also has a really, sorry, I'm trying to bring us back to that. <laughs> We've gone to a broader discussion. I'm trying to narrow us back in. Ernst I do that also, to us sometimes. I was talking about how Capra is like a warm blanket, especially with his filmmaking and his traditional sort of stuff. Ernst Lubitsch is not really like traditional Hollywood. He is because there was, you were more limited by your, by, you know, you know, the cameras and stuff. Uh, you know, you didn't have as much ability to, are you laughing at your cat? Cause she's like, yes. You, you had more ability, you have more ability now to do different things and you didn't necessarily in the 30s, but Ernst Lubitsch is still like doing different like setups. He's he's doing, there's all these, there's this visual gag right at the beginning with these, this one guy coming in and talking to someone and then leaving and then another guy who looks, who's dressed just like him coming in and it's through this revolving door and you're just looking at the revolving door and it's like, that's not really how you'd shoot that, I think. Like he's he's shooting that in a way that is more unique for the era. Yeah. And I just like, a, like, there's something very visual to the jokes that Ernst Lubitsch is doing. Like, yeah, a lot of it is still like the whole, the firing squad joke is a very visual joke. There's no words in that joke, basically. Right. And, right. Except for the lead up to it. The setup, and, yeah. The setup. And it's like, that's, and I, I love it when people are using film 
to make the jokes. Right. I mean, that's why uh, what's his name Edgar Wright is so popular is because he's really he uses the visuals a lot to make jokes. It isn't a movie where it's just two comedians ripping riffing off each other and there's nothing really particularly right. filmic about it, you know. And it, it, so it's like even though a lot of the jokes are wordplay and stuff, it's still nice when you see like what's you know um, Melvin Douglas is in that restaurant and he's trying to get you know this you know Ninochka to love to, to to be interested in him and she doesn't like any of his word jokes and the way he makes her laugh is by slipping and falling which is almost kind of like that's a universal thing yeah. you know he, he doesn't get hurt you know he just slips and falls and spills <laughs> yeah. stuff everywhere it's, and it's awkward like, and embarrassing and kind of funny and it's like I can't you know I'm wondering is there a culture somewhere that wouldn't find that funny you know it's like I don't find slapstick stuff funny but like I can't imagine there's got to be someone in basically every walk of life on earth who probably find that funny, right? The whole point, I think, is that that joke is kind of universal. It's slapstick. Someone falls and spills a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And she laughs at it. And that's what finally breaks her barriers down. And it's a great moment. It's great writing. And it's great setup and great plotting and pacing and all that. It's got all the stuff. And it's about this universality thing, you know, of, of the joke and of, of meeting together. So Ernst Lubitsch, I think really adds something to this. Even though I don't love his other movies, he is a very visual director and I really appreciate that in this movie, you know? Yeah, I think my last thing to say, I agree with you, and my last thing to say about it is just her character. I mean, we've remarked that his character is good. It almost, he's just, it almost follows what we talk about with some of the LGBTQIA plus stuff where he's mostly just a nice guy. There's a little bit of a love triangle because of his involvement with the Russian heiress. That's not really explored. And I'm kind of fine with that. It it, it didn't need to be. No, wasn't that kind of movie, but her, um, both because of her character, her acting and how it was written. Like she, again, she could be the stereotype. She could just be the cold, um, the cold Soviet Russian lady, you know, which is, which is a stereotype. But yeah. there's a depth to her, and I like that um, she doesn't lose her edge ever. Like she, she's, but you see the warmer side to her. But it also, to me, it didn't feel. It felt like she was letting him see that side to her, not that he was like changing her. And I like that. And I like that later when she's in Russia, she still got this like stoic kind of affectation which seems to just be her you know as she's in her apartment dealing with people but you know her friends come in and she gets excited and warm with them the three men that we've been following this whole time but she's still got this toughness to her like if a polish lancer came at her again she would still take him down and and i like i like i think they did a tough lady really well without making her one-dimensional losing her toughness one of the last things I want to talk about too is what you're talking about. Often one of the things, like I don't find the gender dynamics as objectionable in this as I do in maybe, mm-hmm. you know, any number of other movies. Not really, it happened one night. There's not a whole lot there. But like one of the reasons for that is this is one of the few movies from the 30s where I actually feel like the power dynamics aren't really one way or the other. Like he's- I actually think she has more- Except in the very end, he's able to do something that she can't do. Right. That's why it's like because of her government, which is a really hard thing to overcome. Right. And it's like, I feel like there it's relatively equal. Maybe she has more power than him to a degree because he's almost more of like 
he spends all his money. He's kind of almost a kept man to some degree by the the Duchess or whoever she, whatever her title is. And like, I find that refreshing <laughs> for a movie from the 30s. Even the good ones, like it happened one night. There's, they're not really an equal, right? Not really an equal power dynamic there. Even though she has not, more money, not not with that plot. In a different situation, she would have had more power, and it happened. Yes, but yeah. So it's like I she like the fish out of water in that story. Right, and I like that Greta Garbo Ninochka has more or at least equal power. Even and even her character arc isn't like she loses her power. Her character arc is like it's I guess about loosening up, which is kind of the stereotype for the frigid, you know, Soviet, mm -hmm. you know, cold, frozen woman. But like I kind of don't mind because it doesn't feel like she loses her practicality. She just Right. And it feels like he's he start there's a whole hysterical subplot with his butler. Yeah. Where he's like trying now now that she's shown him that his butler doesn't really want to be a butler, like he's trying to free his butler. And his butler is honestly this older man who's like, I don't want like I'm too old for this shit, basically. Yeah. So again, I didn't necessarily feel like she was being changed so much as she was letting herself be vulnerable and that that's a change I, i'm splitting hairs a little bit but it's different than like changing her whole worldview or changing who she, she is she doesn't, here, here, and she changed him too and that he was like she, thinking she about <laughs> wealth inequality and his butler <laughs> she doesn't go from having straight hair to curly hair <laughs> oh thank god yes like it's that thing where it's like she does make a change but it is more about vulnerability and maybe I got, there is a bit of a loosening up the, the frigidness, but it's not, it doesn't seem to be at the expense of her practicality. We don't really get a story where we see beyond what they're doing together. Like, yeah. Who knows what she's going to do at the end of the movie now that she is with yeah. her man, you know, now that she's going to defect pretty much. So it's like, but it's, you, you feel like she's not going to lose her practicality. She's not going to suddenly become a but wimp like or something. But it's like she was a cool bitch kind of a thing. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's, it's it may be inappropriate to call him a bitch, but like she was a cool cool lady a cool a tough yeah. tough ass lady um and he recognized that it's not that he saw someone who could become a tough ass lady if he were there it's like no he's he's recognizing how awesome she is and she's warming up to him for that reason and that's what i like i even like the fact that like she kind of needs him because she does kind of need someone who's a little more fun and you know lighthearted, and he kind of yeah. needs her because she is practical and I've, strong and he needs a strong woman i've told you, know? you i like i like nice guys with tough ladies edgy ladies yeah. i like that as a combo so yeah i, that. I, I feel mean, like I, there i'm sorry you go i feel like there was something else i was going to say and i can't for the life of me remember it so I think I've covered everything. I mean, it's interesting because you were asking me robot monster versus Ninochka and, and it happened one night, but I don't even know it happened one night versus Ninochka. Ninochka is is pretty brilliant and it's pretty great. Um, but it happened one night is 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 it's like the best fluff, you know? And it's yeah. it's really they're both really good. I would say I would say Ninochka stands out because of its political commentary and the time it was made in. But if you just want to watch a movie, like either one is really good. Yeah, this is another one where like maybe if you don't like rom-coms, you might want to watch this anyways because it's kind of an interesting movie. There's a bunch yeah, of... Yeah, I feel like this would appeal to people who just had a, an interest in, in a lot of film things. Yeah. I, this... I, I agree. It might have a... Um, I feel like... It happened one night would appeal to a broader audience in some ways, 
And yeah. yet Ninochka might appeal to a broader film audience, like yeah, no, film I agree. snob audience, let's be honest here. Yeah, no, that's totally, I agree with you. That's that's kind of how it feels like. So go watch this. <laughs> yeah, really. Shall we do a quick wrap up? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I have a ton to say, but why don't you go first this time? So because we filmed on Tuesday, because we didn't film on the weekend like usual, I only have two movies to talk about, one of which you have also seen. Uh, mm-hmm. The first one I have to talk about will be the one we didn't watch, um, which is uh, Ammonite. I watched Ammonite, which was a new movie from last year. It's Kate Winslet and Sir Ronan. Uh, and there's some other side characters whose names are escaping me, including the guy from God's Own Country, because it's directed by the same guy. I liked Ammonite. Um, everyone's comparing it to the uh, portrait of a lady on fire because it's a period romance between two women um, who are mostly by themselves for the whole film. And there's, I mean, other reasons to compare it, but most of that's it. I'm going to, I know that you didn't like Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but I really like that movie. I think it's a great movie. It's, and it's really good. And Ammonite is a pretty good movie. It doesn't quite, it's not as pretty. It's not as well put together. There's a lot more quiet, silent moments and it worked better in God's own country for all these quiet moments than it does here in Ammonite. Though Ammonite is still pretty good. There's some, there's actually, I mean, spoilers, I guess, for Ammonite. It's not a big spoiler, but there is actually some fairly graphic sex in Ammonite. And it's like, oh, it's kind of nice to see that because it's hard. Like, if you're going to see graphic sex between two women, it's going to be porn, basically. You know, you're not going to see that in like a movie. And it's like nice that something like this is just more, we're trying to, <laughs> Luna likes it too. Uh, Luna's upset that she didn't get to watch Ammonite. It has Kate Winslet in it, and we may watch it together at some point, Luna, I promise. Uh, but it's just nice that, like, we're not being, we're not, I am somebody who believes we should be more open about, like, sexuality and stuff. And so it's nice that this movie is kind of more open, and it feels more or less like it belongs in the movie. So I enjoyed Ammonite. It's not as good as Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which everybody's comparing it to, which is still apples and oranges, even as close as these two movies are. Kate Winslet and Saoirse Ronan are amazing actresses. I like, I love, I love them both. I'd like to see it. And, 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 and for the record, I think Portrait of a Lady on Fire was my main objection to it is that it's too self-serious for me. Um, but I, it's not the kind of movie I would dissuade anyone from watching. But if I'm going to watch a romance between two women, I'm going to watch The Handmaiden way over that. I actually have a friend who really didn't like Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I think it was way too self-serious for her. And she was talking to, to, I believe, a woman who was LGBTQ, who was like, you know, it's hard when you're part of a subculture and there aren't that many movies that, that show your subculture. You, I think you get a little protective of them and I don't blame it, but it was very much like, well, then what movie about two women do you like? And my friend was so happy because she was like, had talked to me recently. She, she's like the handmaiden. I really like the handmaiden. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I wouldn't, you know, I, I don't have any objections to anyone liking portraits. It's very beautiful, um, very well acted. It's just, I like a little more humor yeah and even even if it's not a rom-com it doesn't have to be a rom-com it just has it i I like my romance to be a little more playful and a little more and and it didn't work for me that way but i do want to watch ammonite because i do like kate winslet it just hasn't been on my list it hasn't been a thing at the top of my list 
Yeah. It's it's based on a real woman, Mary Anning, who was somebody who searched for um, rock fossils. I don't know what that's called. I mean, ammonite is a kind of rock fossil, I guess. I don't know. This the paleontology. I think that's what it yeah, is. Yeah, it was ah. a big thing in a certain era of England. I know that. Yeah, and so there's, and apparently there isn't a lot of history about whether like Mary Anning even having a husband. Like there just isn't a lot about like her relationships. I don't know the full piece of it. I read the Wikipedia. And I think like there was a little bit of objection to people making her be interested in a woman. And of course me, I'm just like, well, what? And there'd be no objection. There'd be no objection if she was with a man, but because she's with a woman, there's yeah. an objection. Like what? Get over that yourself. I think of Bridgerton. I, I've told you this already. Bridgerton is a popular series on Netflix. Netflix? Yeah, I think. Sure. Either that I, don't, or I don't remember. One of the two. Uh, that I have not watched, but I know that it features a multicultural cast and I've heard people be like, but England wasn't that multicultural. And it's like, well, the West was, and we sure don't have many movies that show Western. So whatever. I mean, I understand if I were, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I'd care if a relative of mine were shown to be gay or lesbian when they weren't. I'm not that invested in the identities of my... No, well, and it's also like, it's not it's a movie yeah. like it's like it's people do think movies are real but i mean so that's t- gone in the other direction for so long that like whatever there's two aspects to this the here first i is am like, taking us to a broad discussion again sorry yes you are there's two aspects to this and then i'm centering us back which is yeah. that yeah in, a, in like westerns the genre of westerns is like almost entirely white people and if you actually look at the west it was I mean, there were white people in the West, but it was oh, much sure. more like Latin and, and, and black, I think. But there yeah. just a ton of French people. There right. were so many Mexican people if you got way out to the West. I mean, it's just California. I mean, come on. So it's like, <laughs> that sure. Like, and then the second part of that is like, who cares? Change history. It's a <laughs> fictional movie. Like, <laughs> like seriously. what? Seriously. Just let it, like, the reason that, you know, LGBTQIA is a subculture might have more to do with like how how often we portray it in culture and less with like if you actually like took a census of like everybody like there's it's probably not much of a subculture at that point like there's probably a lot of people who are bi or something or or, you know who are really not sexually like hetero or even you know man man or woman woman like it's probably a lot more open than that so it's like have more of these movies, more of them. Well, it makes me think of like Tarantino. I wasn't a huge fan of Inglorious Bastards, but that didn't have anything to do with the history he altered. But I really right. enjoyed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because, yeah, like that yeah. is the story I want to watch. I'm yeah, I'd rather that be the story than the truth. Yeah. Um, anyways. Back to the movies. So that ultimately, I enjoyed Ammonite. <laughs> uh, the other movie is actually a movie that I think you also watched. Uh... I did watch. We watched Intimidation. It's a Japanese noir that our father wanted us to watch. I was very impressed by the filmmaking, but I don't have a lot otherwise to say about it. So I'm going to let you talk about it and I won't say anything else. Yeah, it's from 1960. Uh, it's got Ko Nishimura, who's actually in a bunch of things I didn't realize uh, he was He's in. He's in a ton I... of Kurosawa. Yeah, and I've seen him in all of them. And I'm like, oh, wait, it's that guy. Oh, it's that guy. Um, yeah. But like, I can't actually remember the lead of Intimidation. Um, so whoops. Uh, but it's it's only an hour and five minutes, but it's shot in such an interesting way. Like, I just love the way it like moves into like the vault and like how it, like there's these shots where it's just people's eyes. Like it's just their eyes and they're looking at each other and they're making these intense facial expressions. And it's not going for realism in and that's something that gets a lot of people about Japanese cinema is it's not really, they, at least of a certain era, especially 
as far as I can tell, you know, farther back in time, you know, in, in American cinema, they moved towards realism earlier. And in Japanese cinema, that doesn't seem to really happen as much. It's much more affectated and stylized. Expressionistic. Yeah, I think. I mean, maybe this was how people were really, you know, how people really acted in Japan of a certain era, but not as far as I'm aware. Whatever the case, it's got some really neat shots. The story and plot is a bit Here. more... Your, your lead guy there is Nobuo Kaneko. Uh, which I don't know him the name, so he, he's probably been in things I've seen. But but um, uh, the story and plot are a lot more kind of standard. This is you know it's it's somebody it's kind it's like a it's it's a, a heist movie almost, but it's not a heist movie because it's just one guy. It's about corruption and it's about you know stuff like that. And I don't want to give anything away. It's a solid version of that story. I don't know that it really twists anything a lot. <laughs> But I watched the whole thing and I really enjoyed how they were doing it. So this is this is not unique, but in terms of the plot, but the acting is really good and the way they portray it is really good. And the like little twists here and there are really good. The way it's shot is really good. So of the of the few uh, noirs I've watched that I haven't already seen in the, the Criterion Channel Japanese uh, noir section, this is probably the one I've liked the most. Um, it's just so neat. Anyways, your turn. Uh, I I said I was done talking about it, but I just wanted to quickly add that it's also cool to see that era of Japan, 1960. It's very 50s feeling Japan. Right. Um, are, the, are those noirs sticking around for... I don't think any are leaving this month. Okay, so I wanted check. to see. There's one that features a woman. Zero um, focus. Dad watched wanna, that. Yeah, I want to watch that. Yeah. Um, so what did I watch? Miss Panda and Mr. Hedgehog. Right. So that's the one where the writing is not great, but I enjoyed it because Mr. Hedgehog is a fun kind of a young punk who's been to jail and now he makes pastries. And I liked it. The plot is um, messy. And <laughs> my cat, she can't she can't bite her way through the screen to get out. So she's actually trying to bite on the, <laughs> the glass patio door oh dear <laughs> getting her very far oh dear i will she will she does not suffer i will let her have some time i'll give her a walk but it's just looking over and seeing your cat try to gnaw on a door is something <laughs> yes um i finished re-watching just between lovers which is um a k-drama i like another young punk i was in the mood for young punks he gets the crap beaten out of him several times in the first half of the drama and i quite enjoy <laughs> I, I, you know, I like a guy that that'll put up, that'll fight, even though he usually loses for some reason. That's a character okay. I like, and there again, I really admire K drama for for like showing different characters than I feel like you get in Western stuff these days. Um, but there are still characters that are hard to find, and and the young punky guy that gets beaten up a lot is one of them. So I, I rewatched it and enjoyed it. Um. Night Stalker. I finished watching the Night Stalker documentary on Netflix, and it's interesting because I listened to the podcast Crime Writers On, and they were pretty lukewarm on it, and I know why. Um, it has a little bit of cop worship in it, which is, is and some of it is problematic. Uh, there is one cop in there that it's like, oh boy, this guy <laughs> doesn't know how times have changed. Um, obviously, it's about Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, who killed a number of people in Southern California and a couple in Northern California. But it's a crazy story. And to me, it's a very L.A. story. 
And so it was interesting to see all those parts of it. And by comparison, my favorite murder, those women both loved it and they both live in Los Angeles and um, are both from California, not Los Angeles, but one of them's from Irvine and the other's from Sebastopol, I think, um, Northern California. So I think it really helps enjoy that if, if it's that familiar to you. And I mean, it, it's a terrible thing to say, but I mean, it, it is, it's a very diverse serial killer story. He, he killed, and, and you explore that area of LA and I'm reading a book, um, Tropic of Orange, which takes place in LA and the characters are Japanese American and, and Hispanic and black. And, you know, LA gets, it gets ignored. We live on the West side, we're white. And that's kind of the LA you see a lot of the time. So, um, right. And yet when we walk around LA, it's like, sure, that's a part of LA, but LA right. is not white West side. <laughs> right. There's way more to Los Angeles than that. So, um, but also this might entertain you a little less, but seeing certain p- news broadcasters from the past and things that are very familiar from growing up in that era, um, he was the mid eighties. So I was quite young at that point, but some of the stuff is still the, the news broadcasters and so on. So that was all very interesting. I'm a little more mixed on the production and I want you to watch it and tell me what you think of it, but you want to watch it earlier in the morning. Cause it also, uh, I'm not sure I, I approve of the use of crime scene photos in this documentary and it's a hard watch that way. Got it. Um, well, I, that's so now we're moving on to what we're planning to watch. Um, right. I, I don't know if I'm going to get to the Night Stalker this week. You didn't uh, get to another episode of It's Okay to Not Be Okay. And you really, since we're doing rom-coms, it would be interesting if you could get a little further in that for. I should. We, yeah, we've been, yeah, I need to get to that. So I'll probably watch some more of it, um, It's Okay to Not Be Okay. Uh, and I probably, I mean, I may or may not get to the Night Stalker. I may or may not want to watch that during, you know, work hours. I've been really busy at work, so it's harder to watch stuff during work right now. Um, it's I mean, not long and you don't need to watch it right away. I'll, you know, I'll just be interested to hear what you think of it as a documentary. Cause you know, we, we've had a lot of discussions about sometimes a documentary is only good because of its topic. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah. sometimes the, the documentary itself can be, you know, the production, which kind is a little different it. than, than a fictional. Yeah. Uh, well, what are the two movies we're watching for the rom-com part of our. So because I goofed up a little bit and we skipped one and I kind of changed my mind on something, we're going to do the lady Eve and I married a witch, but we could do nothing sacred tomorrow with mom, but we're also supposed to watch Mr. Holland's opus. Are you okay watching that many movies this week? I'll probably be okay watching that many movies. So the plan is to do all four of those. Mr. Holland's opus is something we're watching because I have a friend who seems to watch a lot of these and that's really nice of him. Um, He's someone I don't really interact with anymore because we don't live anywhere near each other and I'm bad at keeping in contact with people, but he's a cool guy and hopefully, you know, hopefully I'll enjoy the movie and I can tell him good things about it. I'm going to be honest either way. (laughs) I've seen it and enjoyed it. So just fine. Um, So, but I don't remember it that well. So let's, so yeah, we'll try to watch all four of those this week. I'm and also, then... oh, and I'm also going to watch Yentl because that's leaving today or well, tomorrow or midnight, whatever. Uh, and uh, Jill wants to watch that, uh, my girlfriend. So we're going to try and catch Yentl today. And then uh, I wanted to watch, um, I've got two Godzillas left and I want to try to get to one of those week this week, but we'll see. 
I also want to, I can't remember if Mirai, is it Mirai? No, Minari? We saw, we saw Mirai. Minari, I think, is the one. Right, that that's, I want to, is that streaming now? I think it's rentable now. I'm not positive. If it is, that might be one I get to this week. Um, we'll see. Uh, and if not, I'll get to it when I can. And then Synchronic, I think, is rentable this week, which I've been wanting to get to. Um, so maybe I'll get to that as well. And those are my plans. And like usual, I will probably watch a Japanese noir or something in there. And maybe I'll even watch a random DVD that's been sitting on my uh, uh, bookshelf that is borrowed from someone that I want to watch to make the shelf, the, the DVD disappear from my apartment someday. And then I'm watching Stargate and I'm on season nine. Ha! I'm gonna. I'm. I guess I'm gonna try and watch those four movies that we're watching together. I'm. Some of them they're not gonna be long necessarily. I'm going to watch. I'm watching Strongest Delivery Man as my K drama right now, which is all about the guys that ride the motorcycle bikes around and deliver stuff in Korea, which is an interesting uh, culture. It's also you know. I mean that's just kind of the background of it, but it's entertaining. I'm enjoying it. It's kind of different in its structure than some of them. Uh, one of my K-drama friends loves it and the other couldn't finish it. So I feel like I'm caught between a rock and I'm like, watch it. No, don't watch it. Oh, God, I'm just going to watch it and see what I think. Um, and I'm also might start Descendants of the Sun, which is like a, they're like in the military in a fictional country. So but it was a really popular one. And one of my friends wants me to watch it. So I might start that. Um, I also want to watch Synchronic. I also want to watch Minari. But that's a lot. So we'll see what I actually get to. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Maybe too much for me, too. We'll find out. Anyways, thanks for joining us, everybody. Um, have a good February. Uh, may it, may it make you not, give you nothing but joy and happiness. Bye. Bye.